hello again, everyone. I want to welcome you to another episode of the next podcast. Look, I'm really glad that you could join me today, and I hope that what you hear over the next few minutes will add some value to your life. And by the time we're done, you'll look back on it and you'll say, you know what? I feel encouraged. I feel inspired. I feel challenged because I want you to get better and I want you to keep growing into the next phase of who God has designed you to be. You know, God designed you on purpose and he placed you on purpose. You're here for a reason and I want you to grow into that purpose and into the next phase of that purpose. And hopefully you'll find the next podcast helps you do that. So we're going to continue this series that we've been in for a while, Stuff Jesus Said. And after today, we'll have one more lesson in this series. That's the plan, anyway. And then we'll be moving on to other things. And for those of you who are wondering, um, yes, I am back in the closet today. Seems to be the best place, the quietest place, for me to be able to record a podcast. You know what? We're just all doing what we've got to do. We're making do. But look, for today, let's dive into it one more time and look at some stuff Jesus said about being angry. Now, if you're paying attention and you've been following us, you know last week we talked about some stuff Jesus said about family. There's no direct correlation here, at least not intended. If uh, you see some uh, some parallels or some tie-ins between the topic last week about family and the topic this week about being angry, well, that's on you. Um, it's not intended to be that way. Hopefully, your family's not making you not making you too angry right now. So uh, let's talk about what Jesus said, some stuff Jesus said about being angry. I've got a question for you. When was the last time you were really angry? I'm not talking about being mildly annoyed by the slow driver or the person blocking the lane or you fussing at your kids for not putting a new roll of toilet paper on the thing I'm not talking about your mild annoyance at the news or the government. I mean angry. I mean lost your composure and maybe had to repent a little bit later. That kind of angry. What happened? What happened? What did you say? What did you do? What made you feel that way? When was the last time you were angry? Did you feel better later? Did it make your life better? Did it get you closer to God? I'm just asking some questions. In 1978, singer Marvin Gaye released his album, Hear My Dear. And one of the singles released from that album was the song Anger. If you've never heard it, you can check it out on YouTube. Rest assured, it is some funky stuff. But it is a song that is full of some pretty deep angst and wisdom about the impacts and the, the destructive nature of anger. I'll give you just a few lines from the song. It says, one more time, anger. More anger when it's flaming hot. Anger burns to the bitter end. Know what I'm talking about. When it cools, I find out too late. I have lost it, love, 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 dear friend. I said anger, 
will make you sick, children. Oh, Jesus, anger destroys your soul. True words, Brother Marvin. Brother Marvin, his words have, uh, they've got to resonate with us. Because anger is a universal human emotion. And most of us, if not all of us, have experienced the destructive aftermath that comes with anger. Which is why we should all feel just a little bit uncomfortable when we read what Jesus had to say about anger. Going to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Watch this next verse, 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Verse 26, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, hopefully, whenever you um, heard the beginning of our text passage today, it sounded a little bit familiar. Jesus said, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Well, that should remind you of uh, the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know about you, but the Ten Commandments were difficult enough as it, as it is. Um, the Hebrews didn't necessarily do a good job of following all the law. But to take that thou shalt not murder commandment and then extend it to include the anger that we feel toward a brother or sister, I don't know, Jesus, that seems like a bit of an overreach. Here you are, Jesus, changing the rules again. Now, folks, I want all my nexters to hear what I'm about to say. Up to this point in my life, I am proud to say that I have managed to comply with the sixth commandment completely. As of today, I have not murdered anybody. Pretty proud about that. But you know what? Jesus stops my smug little pat on the back pretty cold because I've gotten angry a lot. We all have. Anger manifests itself differently from person to person. You know, some people explode and everyone around them knows, yep, he's he's mad, he's angry. But some people don't do that. Some people just kind of seethe at a low boil for days and weeks at a time. And you ask them, is everything all right? Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. And then you have other people whose anger is so sharp and so subtle it's like being cut with a really sharp knife. You don't even know it's happened until you see your blood leaking out five minutes later. And you're like, what happened to me? 
And and then we deal with anger in different ways. You know, some of us, whenever we feel ourselves getting angry, we take deep breaths and count to 10 or 100. Some of us take up kickboxing or we take up running or we take up golf to burn off what we've pushed down. Some of us take up two by fours and smash things. Some of us listen to music. Some of us go to the doctor and get sedative. Some people go to the local bar and meditate, quote unquote. And some of those are good strategies. Some aren't good at all. Don't recommend that local bar meditation. But the problem with all of those coping strategies is they don't keep us from getting angry in the first place. And according to Jesus, that's our whole problem. Because if I'm reading Matthew 5.22 right, when Jesus said, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment, what I think he meant was, don't be angry. Like, as in just don't do it. Don't go there. Like, at all. Really, Jesus? Like, never? Angry? Ever? Ah, I don't know. Look, let's look at it. You know, when it comes to anger, we need to be careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Anger is a complex emotion and a complex issue. Hear me, not all anger is bad. Whenever we see injustice and evil, our emotional response of anger at those things is altogether right. Jesus even demonstrated such a response himself. In Mark 3, he was angry with the religious leaders. In Matthew 21, Jesus was angry with those who were buying and selling in the temple. Things like slavery, racism, the exploitation of children, the cruel treatment of the disadvantaged. These things and things like them fit into this category of justified righteous anger. The problem comes... When anger mutates into what I'm going to call self-righteous anger. That happens, self-righteous anger happens when I look at the actions or the attitudes of others as being so outrageous, so over the top, that I could never be guilty of being as bad as those people. I would, I would never say that. I would never do that. You you have to be an evil, selfish, scum-of-the-earth type of person to do what they did. Mm, careful, careful. When we catch ourselves thinking that way, well, I would never. When we catch ourselves thinking that way, we are no longer righteously reflecting God's anger at sin, but expressing our own sense of moral superiority. Jesus wasn't talking about righteous anger in this passage in Matthew 5. Now, this is a this is a different type of anger. Jesus equates this type of anger with murder, and it gets right to the core of who we are. Nexters, anybody else that wandered into this podcast by accident, listen to Coop right now. Our anger matters. Our anger matters. Allow me to demonstrate. You know, anger and fear are so closely related. They come from the same type of nervous system engagement and arousal. Anger and fear, they, they, they act on our nervous systems the same way. They originate in the same places uh, physiologically. When we get angry, 
or when we are afraid, the same things happen. Our heart rate goes up. There's arterial tension that increases or blood pressure. Testosterone production increases. There's increased stimulation in the brain's left hemisphere. It's all connected to the fight or flight response that is hardwired into human nature. I want you to imagine for just a minute. Imagine with me. You, you take a family vacation, load up the kids, and, and you go to the, let's say, you go to the Northwest. And as you're out camping with the kids, a grizzly bear comes into your camp and is determined to eat one of your kids. No, you won't let the grizzly bear eat your kids. That's just the coronavirus lockdown that's got you thinking that. You really wouldn't let the grizzly bear eat one of your kids. Because what you're going to do is your instinct, your fight or flight response is going to kick in and it's going to prove very useful because your instinct is to protect what is dear to you. Did you hear what I said? Your instinct is to protect what is dear to you. Here it comes. Here it comes. What we get angry about reveals what we want to protect and guard. If you're taking notes, that would be the thing you want to write down. What we get angry about reveals what we want to protect and guard. Our anger is a surefire way to identify what we really love or desire or care about, hold precious or prioritize. In our passage from Matthew 5, Jesus is talking specifically about the type of anger that causes us to treat others with contempt. That's what he's talking about. Later on in Matthew 5, Jesus says that a good tree will produce good fruit. But a rotting tree will only produce fruit that is inedible. No good, no bueno fruit from a rotting tree. So a good place to start when it comes to the issue of anger in your life is to look at the fruit of your anger. Because righteous anger leads to a measured, appropriate, and controlled reaction or response, I should say. Righteous anger leads to a measured, appropriate, and self-controlled response. But wrong anger, the kind that Jesus was talking about, is one that sees others as despicable, contemptible, and downright annoying. That type of anger leads to fights, leads to bitterness, it leads to envy, it leads to hurt. And y'all, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. According to the Bible, the heart is the center of who you are. The heart informs your decisions. It sparks your passions. It shapes your personality. And God says that our hearts, are you ready for this? He says our hearts are seriously messed up. In Matthew 15, Jesus told his disciples, verse 18 of, of Matthew chapter 15, listen to what Jesus said to the disciples. He said, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Jesus established that he was just as concerned with the state of our hearts as he was with our actions. Why? How come? Because sin 
is a heart issue. At its sin, at its core, sin thinks this is my world and I'm God and I decide what's right and wrong and I decide what's appropriate and inappropriate for me and for other people. And sometimes, you know what? We want things that are wrong and that's called sin. You know what else is sin? When we want things that are right, but we want them too much. The Bible calls that idolatry. Wanting, loving, valuing something or someone more than we value God, that's idolatry and it's a sin. You know, I sometimes I want good things, but if I want them too much, it's idolatry. Let me illustrate. I want my children to be obedient and respectful. But if my desire for an obedient and respectful child causes me to lose sight of who God is in my life to the point that I explode in rage, then the idol of my desire is creating a sin problem in my in my life. Now, did I want something wrong, an obedient and respectful child? No, that's a good thing. But if what I want is causing me to lose sight of who God is in my life to the point that I explode in anger, I've got a sin problem. I, you know, I want to do well in my job. I want to do well at work. Hopefully you do too. But if my desire to do my job as perfectly as I can causes me to seethe and boil on the inside to the point that I start spewing curses and all types of negative, negative garbage, well, then my idol to do well in my work is creating a sin problem. You know, an idol can be anything. It really can. A possession, a relationship, an ideal, a job. It's anything in which we find our identity and our self-worth. And at the heart of every wrong anger you've ever had, you're going to find an idol. If you trace it back, those moments that you can remember where you just exploded in anger, you trace the root back, you're going to find an idol. Which is why our anger is such a big deal to Jesus. Because it shows him what we care about. It shows him what we want to protect. And it shows him sometimes that we are worshiping something or someone other than him. Now look, if you're listening to what I'm telling you right now, you're not too, nah, you're not too sure. I don't know, Coop. If you're not too sure about what I've been saying over the last few minutes, then I want, I want to challenge you. I want you to think again about the last time you were, you were angry. What did you want in that moment of anger? What was the underlying desire of your heart? What do you think you needed in that moment in order to make you happy? How did you respond when that thing was threatened? Here's a great question. Whenever you think back to the last time you were really angry, where was Jesus in the middle of all of that? Was he front and center? Or did he have to take a back seat while you did your thing? Mm. The fundamental problem of anger is that I make everything all about me. I am the center of the universe. It's an egocentric, selfish heart that says here in this moment, I am angry because I matter most. And what I want takes priority over everything and everyone else. That's what's speaking Whenever I call someone a fool, a loser, an idiot, 
when I dismiss someone as somehow worth less than I am and place myself in a superior position to them. That's the sinful, idolatrous heart of man saying, I'm better than you. I'm worth more than you. I deserve what I want more than you. Y'all, that is a heart problem. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, The prophet wrote, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21 Jesus said, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. You know what? Jesus came to change that. He came to fix the heart problem Jeremiah was talking about. He even said it in Ezekiel chapter 36. God told Israel, Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. Watch this, verse 26. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus, quoting the Old Testament, said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Oh, watch this. What's the next phrase? You know it. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus came to create a new type of community. We talked about it last week, a new family, new type of community, where not only is our behavior distinctly different, but our hearts are transformed. To emphasize the point, Jesus demonstrates this crazy, wild change that takes place in the heart of a true follower of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, he said, You remember that your brother or sister has something against you? Well, you go and make it right first. Not, well, if he's got a problem with me, then that's his problem. Don't like me, I don't like you either. Mm, That's not Jesus talking. Jesus said... Your heart is to be so radically changed, so transformed by my blood and by my spirit that you will consider the other person above yourself. Kind of like what I did for you. I took the initiative to pursue our reconciliation. I took the responsibility upon myself to make things right between us. And I want you to do the same. I want your attitude, your heart to be like mine and say, it's not all about me all of the time. It's about you. I want you to do the same. I want your heart to be like that, to be like me. So look, I don't like what Jesus had to say about being angry. Because it shows me once again that I'm not God. I'm not the one in control. 
His words show me once again that at the heart of my sin is a really flawed perspective about him. I see him not as a God who wants the best for me, but as someone who wants to wreck my carefully laid plans for my life. And I react badly because his plans interfere with my plans and his desires undermine my desires. His words about anger show me what I love and what I value and what I want to protect. And those things, y'all, I'm just going to tell you, sometimes they're not always what they should be. I'm trying, but sometimes they're not everything they should be. But ultimately, Jesus' words point me to a better perspective, that his way (laughs) is better than my way. And if I will embrace that lifestyle, then I don't have to get angry about what happens. God knows my needs. I don't have to get angry about what I don't have or what doesn't happen or what I thought should have already happened. In him, I have abundant life. I don't have to get angry when what I've worshipped doesn't satisfy. Jesus' words about anger compel us to take a long, hard look at what we value and then to realign our heart with his. So let's finish up. Ask you a couple of questions. What have you been angry about? What have you been angry about? Well, what's it showing you? What does that anger show about your values, your loves, your priorities? What's that anger showing you about where your heart is? Here is a great place to start correcting the heart drift. Take it to Jesus in prayer. Just start there. Talk to him and ask him to work on your heart. And you know what? You'll find yourself not just not as angry. Look, next week we will endeavor to finish this series. We'll look at some stuff Jesus said about making disciples. God bless you. I love you. I hope you have a great week.